0: Delightful to be around you. And this may sound weird, but it's delightful to like hear the sounds and smell the smells of people being together. It's all really good. Um, but I'm also thankful for those of you who are online because you've taken time and made space to come and join and be present with us. And so I'm just I'm happy this morning to be able to be with you all, whether you're here in person or online. Just want to say thanks for, for doing that. So from that space of being together, would you please join me as I pray? Dear God, I give you great thanks for this day, for this time, for for the ways that we can be together, God, uh, and the blessings that that are in that. I I pray that you would speak to us from that space, that we would hear you as your people, and whatever it is that, that, that you need to direct us in, guide us in, speak to us, whatever it may be, that we would be able to get to a space where we can hear clearly and discern clearly Uh, what it is that you have for us in your word this morning. So give you thanks for that and ask that uh, you bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in week four of a sermon series that we're calling God is Love, and it's based on this letter that we call 1 John that was written about 2,000 years ago. Um, And Lots of people believe different things about who it was written by. I believe personally it was written by the apostle uh, John, who was one of Jesus' friends. And and we called it God is love because in this letter, there's this moment where, actually two, two times, where John says God is love. And it's the it's the kind of foundation that it feels like he builds everything off of in this letter. And I would even say that not just in this letter, but in John's whole life, it's what he builds off of. And today we're going to be looking at 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And so if you have your Bible, you can grab that and go to that spot. Um, if not, you can listen along. Uh, and if you're at home, you can read along on the screen too. Or uh, in our uh, online platform, there is a Bible app that gives you all kinds of access to stuff there. So again, this is uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 18 through 29. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father." And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him. It is coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, John starts off this section of the letter with the phrase, dear children, and I just want to highlight for you any time in John's works, uh, if, if he writes the phrase dear children it's either the beginning of something it's it's the end of something it's sort of this summarizing point but it should call our attention to it it's like a it's like a beat in a rhythm that when we hear that it should sort of draw us into it it's a critical point and john is really good at crafting uh, these letters and so those phrases and those markers are one of the things that, that John does. But I'm going to share with you two more uh, today. And there's two words, two phrases uh, that I want to uh, want to share with you. You might know it, you might not. The first one is, uh, and they're both literary techniques. The first one is this one inclusio, um, and it really is like a sandwich. Which that's an awesome sandwich from salumi. So if you ever get a chance to go there, get their sandwiches. Um, but the, the idea is that in an inclusio, there are two phrases or ideas, concepts that are really pretty identical and they kind of sandwich a bunch of other material in between them. And what happens is, is those two then function as sort of the bread of the sandwich. They kind of hold it all together, right? And so that's really important in here. And in, in, in this section, there's an inclusio that happens uh, in verses 20 and 27. And so the first layer of bread is in verse 20 but you have an anointing from the Holy One and the second layer is in verse 27 as for you the anointing you receive from him remains in you and so we have John bringing up the anointing and I want us to hang on to that because the, this idea that this anointing whatever that means and we're gonna talk about that but it is kind of the bread that holds the sandwich together here it's, it's really important for us to, to remember that and it's gonna have to do with discerning truth and, and what that anointing uh, does the other word is chiasmus um, and chiasmus means I'm gonna get a drink of my water it's not really what it means but that's what I'm doing um, chiasmus is another kind of structure literary structure and it works in a similar way but it, it sort of has like two converging paths um, and there'll be one that I'll show you in a second. It'll be kind of on the top and one on the bottom. But the idea is, is they kind of match or they kind of counter each other, leading to a main point. And so uh, I'll show you what I mean here. So in this section, uh, verses 18 and 19 and um, 28, if you can see that, oh, that's way on the bottom. Um, but uh, 18, 19, and 28 have what we call an, an es- eschatological context, which eschatological just means sort of the thinking of the, the end of humanity, sort of the, this wrap-up of history. And so it's a big uh, idea, and it's super important. And in these verses, John starts off by mentioning the last hour, which is uh, we're going to talk about in a minute, but it's looking towards uh, an end time. And then in 28, he talks about when Jesus appears. And so that's also a way that people in this time often thought about uh, one of the key moments in the end times. And so we have this eschatological moments in 18, 19, and 28. Now, if we move in, uh, again, 20 and 27, that's the inclusio, the sandwich we saw a second ago, Uh, the anointing that John says you have an anointing, but then in 27, John talks about the anointing you received, and so they're the same thing, but they have a little bit different spin on it. One is you have it, and one is you've received it, and then in 27 too, there's a part of and and it remains in you, so there's movement seen there too. Uh, the next one is that in 21, there's an affirmation that the readers have the truth, right? This, this uh, anointing uh, that they have allows them to know the truth. And at the same time, on the opposite side of that is a concern by John that even though his readers know the truth, can they stay there? Can they remain there, right? And so there's this... There's this working that's being built here and then 22 and 24 one is the lie uh, that Jesus is not the Christ and John says that's what um, and in this context what he's talking about is someone who had previously been part of the community uh, and, and spoke about believing in Christ and following Jesus and then said no that, that's not what I believe. And so they denied Christ. And so for him, that's the equivalent of a lie. That's, that's telling a lie. That's being a liar. And so on the opposite end of that is that they would remain in the truth that they have received. So again, we have these counter points now. And then the last one is kind of the, the very center. And so it's kind of one works towards it, hits it, and then builds back out of it. And tw- it's in verse 23. 23a says, the one who denies the son does not have the father. And 23b says the one who confesses the son also has the father. And so we can see that really for John, one of the key ideas is this idea of denying Jesus and what that means. Right? It means that if you deny Jesus, then you don't have the father. If you confess or accept or receive Jesus, acknowledge Jesus, and it doesn't say like, and it's got to look this way or that way. It's just, is there a part of you that sees something in Jesus? Then there's, then there's a pathway To the father there and so for John this is a key point and and it's it's one of the ways that um, that he shows that he's very concerned about this uh, group who has left and some of the things that they're teaching is that it's very possible that they're saying that Jesus is not the Christ Jesus is not the Messiah and we'll get into all this in a second but he's uh, he's pointing that out and so from these two things the inclusio and the uh, chiasmus we get two main points. One is that uh, denying Jesus or receiving Jesus is critical, uh, and two, that there's an anointing of what John calls the Holy One uh, that in the context of community is necessary for discernment and life. And so, um, so hang on to those two things. Um, we're going to explore quickly uh, what I call three little words, um, and these words are our antichrist, and anointing. Um, these words are used, uh, interestingly enough, exclusively in John's writing. Now, of course, the word hour shows up other places, but the way John uses it only occurs in John's uh, writings. In in the Gospel of John, his three letters in the book of Revelation, same with Antichrist and anointing. Uh, The way he uses these phrases is really specific uh, to his writing. And So the first one I want to quickly look at is hour. Uh, He starts off by talking about this last hour, an hour for John, he uses it in these phrases as a way to sort of mark this, this kind of moment in time. And, and there's several related moments that he kind of brings together or, or labels, and they all have to do with that eschatological thing that I talked about. For John, whenever he uses the word hour, it's kind of getting at this. And he'll use it to describe Jesus' sort of whole life as sort of the beginning of this process. He'll use it to talk about sort of an indefinite future time that's really closely related to the end of Jesus' life. He'll he'll quote Jesus as saying things like, uh, a time has come, or a time is coming and has now come. And so uh, Jesus sort of gets at this by saying, I'm present now, there's something new that's happening, but it's all tied in to, to, to kind of the end of time also. And so it really invokes a lot of hopes for people about kind of the final stages of God's dealing with the world. Um, now John uh, is gonna say that we're in the last hour say we're in this moment kind of this this significant time because of the presence of Antichrist now when we think of this word we often think of uh, really predominantly from the book of Revelation that John also wrote but in there uh, we often depict the the Antichrist as being this very powerful political figure that's going to kind of take over the world uh, and and lead this sort of worldwide movement away from God. Now, I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about that. We can talk about that a lot at some other point. Uh, But for John, um, it's actually quite different. Um, It's not one person. He says there are many, right? Um, And... Uh, he's simply saying that it's someone who's set in opposition to Jesus, either through the denial of who Jesus is, like uh, the Messiah, or the denial that he's the Son of God. So there's this, it's not like a theological debate over, uh, did Jesus have long hair, did Jesus wear this kind of clothes, was, you know, these kinds of things. It's it's his very nature. It's not just a kind of theological debate. It's a very major uh, issue. And so um, John here is trying to portray this group uh, who has left the church and who has denied Christ by saying this is who they are. They are anti-Christ. And I want to give a caution here because some people have taken this phrase to mean that uh, we can just call people anti-Christ, right? If someone we don't like, excuse me, or we disagree with them, then we can just label them. Oh, they're Antichrist. Um, but I think for John here, the, the, the labeling of this group as Antichrist is more reflective of the position they take against Jesus than they're disagreeing with him. So I want us to be really, really careful that um, when we're thinking of people, because people leave a faith community for a lot of reasons, right? Our church has been around for a long time and we've experienced this. People move, people have kids that go to schools in different areas and it's much better for them to connect with their neighbors and friends and jobs change, all kinds of things change. In fact, most of the time when people move on from a faith community, it's not what's happening here. And even if someone left for theological reasons, theological differences, that may not necessarily cast them as antichrist, Right, this guy, uh, fourth century theologian, Didymus the Blind, um, said that every false teacher, not every false teacher, is called antichrist. He said, only those who have come from the truth and then join a false sect after they have been in the truth. And he says, it's only because they were once Christians that they are now called antichrist. And whether or not I agree with that is not the main point. What I'm trying to get at here is that, um, this guy uh, Didymus the Blind, fourth century, is much closer to John's time, and so it gives us a little insight how they might be seeing this idea, right? That maybe it's it's not just something they throw out at anyone who, you know, they feel like, oh, I don't like them today, or I don't agree with them, so they must be antichrist. Maybe it's something much different, and maybe it is tied to someone who is not just moving on to something else, whether it's agreeing or disagreeing or for whatever reasons, but someone who has denied Jesus. So, um, the next word is anointing right and this word again is unique to John the way he uses it it does occur one uh, time in the Greek translation of the Old Testament referring to sort of the anointing oil that they use to uh, sanctify the tabernacle the 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 place that Israel used to move around with and take with them to worship. Uh, They'd set it up big tents and had all kinds of gear and stuff in it, but they would anoint it with oil. So they'd pour oil on it. Uh, they'd, They'd sort of rub oil on all the pieces that they were using. And it was a way also to consecrate the priests. There's a psalm that talks about how good and precious is it is when, when people come together in unity and they say it's like, it's like uh, oil flowing down Aaron's beard. Aaron was the high priest and the idea was he's being anointed. Oil's like poured over his head. and uh, Yeah, for me it's a great image because oil in the beard is just a great, great thing. But, um, but so there's this idea of anointing, right, that there's something that happens. There's something that a follower of Jesus has Like these things that sort of prepares them to fulfill sort of their purpose, right? That these things were consecrated and sanctified in the temple and made to be uh, to embody certain things and and to be used in a certain way. And so, there's something that that, that John's saying here that there's something that a, a follower of Jesus has that maybe enables them to do the very things that God has created or called them to do. Now. In the NIV, with the way it gets translated is that you have this anointing and so you all know the truth, right? But, but that's kind of an add-on from the next verse. The, the really sort of accurate, I uh, won't well, call it accurate, but translation is uh, uh, simply you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know, period, Right, it just says, you all know. It doesn't have like, and you all know the truth. You all know these facts. You all know this, that. You all know. And Karen Joves, a New Testament scholar, says it's very much like our kind of idiom being in the know. Right? That you, you know all of this. You know uh, about this anointing, and you're aware of it, and everything it brings with it. And So from that space, John is going to move on. And he's going to affirm his reader's knowledge about the truth, about Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God, but he's going to draw a line between truth and falsehood. And um, Eugene Peterson, in his version of the the Bible, a paraphrase that he wrote called The Message, he he translates this one passage uh, this way. It says, I haven't been writing this to tell you something you don't know, but to confirm the truth you do know and to remind you that the truth doesn't breed lies, And so he's pointing out that there's this space where it feels like maybe with this group that there's some things that they're saying that just aren't true. And John is saying those, those two things, there needs to be a distinction made between truth and lie. And so John brings that into their context, that reality, into their current situation, and says, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Now, this is what uh, makes me think that, kind of what I said a moment ago uh, that I'm forgetting right now, but there was a thought there. That went quick. Um, But he says, who is a liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. And such person is an antichrist. And um, I want us to be careful again because, uh, and I I remember, this is why I think it ties into that uh, thing that Didymus says that, Uh, Maybe it is for for reserved sort of for people who came from a spot of being within a community and claiming to know Jesus, claiming to have fellowship with God, claiming to know the truth because um, I don't believe that just someone who denies Christ, who has never experienced Christ, is a liar. That just seems off to me, right? If they never claimed to know that, never claimed to believe that, then how could it be that they are a liar, So I feel like John here is saying, who is the liar? whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. It's very specific to their context. You have people in your community who are denying that Jesus is the Christ. Those are the people right now who I want you to know you shouldn't follow their teaching. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. And then the consequences of that posture is to no longer have fellowship with the Son or the Father. John says, don't go down that path. Don't follow those who have left, who have denied Jesus, but follow Jesus, and you have fellowship with God together with us. So we get a sense of John's desire, his concern, that his friends stay on the path, walk in the light, follow Jesus so they can have fellowship, relationship with God and with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And he says that the, the outcome of that is eternal life. I do think it's worth noticing in um, verses uh, 22 through 24, just the connection that exists in these three verses. Each one, John ties the Father and the Son or the Son and the Father together. Um, He could have said these very same things without mentioning them so many times but I think it's something that John is doing and saying there is a love that exists there, a relationship that exists there. When I say God is love, you're gonna see it from knowing that. You're gonna see it from hearing that. He's planting seeds to build towards that moment to say God is love. And that that relationship for John is really significant. The strength of that connection, the intimacy, the commitment in that relationship is key for John. And again, it's the basis for all the relationships he's in, for, for all the things he does that's what he's inviting us to it's what he's inviting us to remain in that love that exists between Jesus and his father and so John wanting there to be no mistakes about what he's saying says hey I'm writing this to you about the people who are leading you astray right just in case you didn't uh, get that that's what this is about Um, and he's he's saying that this is actually super serious um, you, you cannot follow them. They're on a path of destruction. Please, please don't do that. So he encourages them that, that you have this anointing you have received from the Holy One. It remains in you and that this is the evidence that they haven't walked away. is They still have this anointing. They've remained. They've stayed connected to Jesus. And he says this really interesting thing and you don't need anyone to teach you. Oh, that makes people like me nervous, right? I remember one time on campus, when I was doing campus ministry, one of the guys I was working with, his name was Ron Jacobson. We had this after event we called Pizza Theology. So we'd just order a bunch of pizza, have a topic, kind of kick it around, eat pizza, it was great. But he one night said, yeah, you know what? Everyone here, you don't, you don't need us to teach you every Friday. And you could see the rest of the staff go, Ron, what are you doing? Like, seems like a bad move for us. Um, but what he was saying is like there's something in you, there, there's something that you know by being connected with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, there's, you know this stuff. You know the difference between right and wrong. And so John's going to say that's true for you, that's true for the community he's writing to, and you need to remain in that anointing. Because that anointing teaches you how to remain. He even says it. It teaches you how to remain in Jesus. And in John's writing, that idea, that phrase remaining, abiding, dwelling in Jesus occurs over 60 times. And It's referring to this ongoing relationship between Jesus and his followers that's lived out in the context of that relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. Okay, so that's... That's all. I'm sure very interesting stuff, but I have three kind of points off this that I wanna that I wanna make. Hopefully quickly. I do have one. Um, so the first is uh, that in the beginning of John the Gospel. Um, John the Baptist has some of his disciples and they see Jesus pass by and he looks. Oh, there goes the Lamb of God. His two disciples go follow Jesus and Jesus turns and says, hey, what do you want? You're following me. I'd like to know why. Uh, And they say, we just want to know where you're staying. And Jesus says, well, come and see. Follow me and find out. And I think that's what John is getting at here for his group. He's like, stay with Jesus. Follow Jesus and find out. And I have a... A George MacDonald quote, and it's quite a long one, but George MacDonald, um, when he writes something, it's like, a, it's like a delicious meal, and I wouldn't dare want you to miss a single bite. Uh, and so I'm going to read the quote uh, while we uh, marvel at his delightful beard, um, but uh, just what I do. Uh, so here's the quote. Come to God then, my brother, my sister, with all thy desires and instincts, all the lofty ideals, all thy longing for purity and unselfishness, all thy yearning to love and be true, all thy aspiration after self-forgetfulness and child life in the breath of the Father. Come to him with all thy weakness, all thy shames, all thy futilities, With all thy helplessness over thine own thoughts, with all thy failure, yea, with the sick sense of having missed the tides of true affairs, come to him with all thy doubts, fears, dishonesties, meannesses, paltrinesses, misjudgments, weariness, disappointments, and stalenesses. Be sure he will take thee and thy miserable brood, whether the draggle-winged angels or covert-seeking snakes, into his care. The angels for life, the snakes for death, and thee for liberty in his limitless heart. For he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If he were a king, a governor, if the name that described him were the almighty, thou mightst well doubt whether there could be light enough in him for thee and thy darkness. But he is thy father, and more thy father than the word can mean on any lips, but his who said, my father and your father, my God and your God. And such a father is light, an infinite perfect light. If he were any less or any other than he is and thou couldst yet go on growing, thou must at length come to the point where thou wouldst be dissatisfied with him. But he is light and in him is no darkness at all. But there is another side to the matter. God is light indeed, but there is darkness. Darkness is death and humanity is in it. Yes, darkness is death, but not death to the one that comes out of it. It may sound paradoxical, but no one is condemned for anything they have done. They're condemned for continuing to do wrong. They're condemned for not coming out of the darkness, for not coming to the light, the living God, who sent the light, His Son, into the world to guide them home. And this is talking about uh, John chapter 3. In the 19th verse, He says, and this is the condemnation, not that men are sinners, not that they have done that which even at the moment they were ashamed of, not that they have committed murder, not that they have betrayed man or woman, not that they have ground the faces of the poor, making money by the groans of their fellows, not for any hideous thing are they condemned, but that they will not leave such doings behind and do them no more. This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men and people would not come out of the darkness to the light, but loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, choosing evil, clinging to evil, loving the darkness because it suits with their deeds, therefore turning their backs on the inbreaking light. How can they be but condemned if God be true? And that's from his uh, book, Unspoken Sermon, series 1, 2, and 3. And in there, I hope you hear, bring all of it. John's not saying like, oh, and there's people who can't be part of of fellowship with God. He's saying, no, bring all of it. And, and, And the only thing that will keep you is if you don't bring it. The only thing that will keep you is if you remain and stay in evil. Leave those things behind. Come, follow Jesus and see. And So it's not, just, it's not just coming to Jesus. It's not just that initial moment. But for John, it's also remaining in him. Again, it comes up a lot, not just in this letter, but in all of John's works. And if we go back to our, that chiasmus and that inclusio, right in the middle of all that was the importance of knowing and receiving Jesus. However that looks for you, it's the key. Don't stray from Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Stay in that relationship, that one that brings fellowship with God and therefore with humans. Work together. Sharpen one another. Love one another. Disagree with one another. Fight it out. Be patient with one another. Bearing each other's burdens. But can we live and work these things out? so the call is to remain in Jesus and from that space, engage with others. And the last thing um, is discernment of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is, uh, again, if we go back to the inclusio, I think this is the bread that holds us all together in the sandwich that is filled with this sort of good stuff, whatever you like on your sandwich, of knowing Jesus, being in fellowship with God, of being in fellowship with one another, is this reality of there is An anointing that followers of Jesus has that gives those folks discernment to know how to stay, how to remain, how to know what is right and what is wrong. In John's gospel, in chapter 16, verses 13 through 6, it says this But when the Spirit, uh, but when He, the Spirit of Truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is Jesus speaking. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So here again, we have John saying in a different spot, the Holy Spirit is given to be this anointing that we would be able to know What is right and wrong? What is light and dark? What is life and death? What is love and hate? We'd know what's true and false. And so I have a practice that I want us to each uh, take up. I can't force you to do it, so it's on you. Um, But uh, as you go through this week, as you pray, meditate, think, um, uh, ponder, uh, whatever it is you do, Can you take a moment and very directly ask the Holy Spirit for discernment in something? And I want you to be really direct, right? You can rephrase it however you want, but I would suggest something like, Holy Spirit, can you give me discernment on this? And then just wait for a moment. Just sit in that. Write down maybe thoughts or impressions or feelings or visions or words or scripture verses or anything that comes to your mind or your heart. And then will you find someone that you trust that you can share that with? And I want you to share it because sometimes we get these ideas and maybe they're not for us. Maybe they're for someone else. Or sometimes they are for us, but we get it and we kind of put a weird spin on it when we're on our own. We, all this stuff is meant to be lived out together. Right, I have a quick story that I want to tell you about this. And it's kind of a, it's not weird, it's, it is weird, but it's not weird, because it's all very normal. Um, so several years ago, uh, our church was doing, um, I don't remember if we had a name for it, but there was a gentleman named Mike Flynn, who was uh, sort of leading us in some processes of kind of hearing from the Spirit and hearing from Jesus. And he was just a really interesting guy. And he would do this thing where when he was talking and he had his watch would, would go off every two and a half minutes, I think he said. And he would look over here because he said that's where Jesus was. And he'd just give a look as he was talking. And if Jesus was telling him to do something, he'd stop and do it. And sometimes Jesus was like, nope, you're doing great. And so, but that was just his way of consistently checking. But he had us get in these groups and pray for each other and then just kind of listen and, and figure out, you know, and share what was going on. And this uh, guy, we were praying together, and he just said, you know, ah, and, and it was kind of one of those moments where I could tell he didn't really want to share what he was feeling, but it wasn't because it was weird. it's because he just couldn't make sense of it. He's like, I just, I just see a car, Right, and I don't know what to do with that. It's just a car. It's not even really like a, a great car or a bad car. It's, it's, it's kind of just a car. Um, and, and Angie and I at the time, we were like, okay, we have a car? Uh, and so we, we kind of said, well, thanks for trying. We, we kind of gave it our best go, and that was great. So about 10 months later... Uh, a friend of mine is borrowing a car of ours and um, driving uh, to Spokane and back and late at night, um, driving back in the middle of the, kind of the Palouse, the the oil light goes on and he just doesn't really know much about cars and so he just keeps going. And... uh, and, he, and when, he get, we, when he got back, the car had to be towed back, um, and he was like, yeah, something went wrong with it. And, and he kind of described the, the, the oil light went on, and then it just was running weird, and, but I just kept driving, and I was like, oh, okay. And what had happened was is uh, the, 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 the car had actually done what you call throw a rod, and so one of the, 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 the pistons, I, I think I have this right, in the engine actually cracked through the engine block and and punched a hole because when we put oil in it, oil just started shooting out of this hole in the engine block. Um, Now, it seems like odd because it's 10 months later, so not really connected, except that if we would have said, oh, that's interesting, I don't know, maybe let's set aside a little bit of money or something, right? And we kind of looked back at our finances a little bit and we would have had about, if we set aside kind of what we could and kind of what we thought about, we would have had about what it took to pay for the repairs for that car, right? And so I, I look back at that and I go, that's like the most normal, like there wasn't like smoke and thunder and lightning, all the things that I want when God speaks to me. It was a guy saying, I see a car, right? And it was so distant and so disconnected, but... I think if we would have been more in practice with doing that, we may have recognized it a little differently. So that's why I want us to start this practice. Um, I want to call the worship team up. Um, in, uh, and the prayer team's gonna be ready for you all if you need prayer for anything online. If you need prayer for anything, it's there for you. Um, so um, we can uh, have that all going. Uh, and then in a moment, I'm gonna pray. The worship team's gonna give us a moment to reflect and then we'll have a closing song and a benediction. Uh, I got some weird text in the middle of my slide there. That's fine. Um, but I do have a couple of questions that I want to ask. And the first is, is, as we sort of move through this, I want to ask, what does it look like for you to remain in Jesus? Right? And, and it's going to look different for each one of us. Right? For some of us, it's going to call us to things we might not have even been thinking of. Right, but what does it look like for you to remain in Jesus? Sometimes it means moving from a place you're in, moving from a situation you're in. Sometimes it means staying. Right? It's, it's, what does it look like for you? And that's where this discernment comes in. And so is there something, the next question, that you can ask the Spirit for discernment on right now? Or even as we sit here this morning, maybe it's something we talked about, maybe it's something we sang about, maybe it's something you encountered on the way in, something from the week, I don't know. Could be lots of things. But is there something that, just as I mentioned that, mm, that kind of showed up in my head or in my heart that you can ask the Spirit for discernment on? And then take a moment to listen. And again, maybe write something down. Write down what you're asking for discernment for. Just to kind of start this process of of sort of engaging with the Spirit in a different way. Because the, the idea that John talks about is that if we're following Jesus, then we have been given an anointing by the Holy One so that we will know what to do in these situations. I think that's here for us today, and so I want us to be able to lean into that. So with that, let me pray, and then, um, and then we'll have a moment to, to think on those things. God, I give you great thanks for uh, this moment. I give you great thanks for this letter and for John and his care and concern uh, for the people that, that he's been in contact with. Um, I pray that even through these words from a long time ago, you would move in us in in ways that are helpful, uh, in ways that we are in the light, that we are in step with you, and show us places where we maybe aren't. Maybe we we have things that we need to do differently. Um, And so I pray that we would see that, and you would give us courage to walk in those things. Um, Yeah, Spirit, that you would move and lead, and guide, and keep, and sustain, um, this is your word says, Lord, that your divine power gives us everything we need for life, and godliness, I pray we would find that in these moments, where we're asking for discernment, Holy Spirit, I pray you be present in those spaces, I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.